Greetings, ladies and mendigants, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one. Who the hell let the humans into Compsi? Written by Trust Me, I Just Get Weird. So, just tell them how this happened. I mean, we just know. I want to hear this again, James. Tell me. Okay, so, um, we were assigned to do an antenna on the satellite. Worst mistake of my life. What? Nothing. Keep going on. So, uh, we were trying to design the antenna, but I was going too slow. Everything had kept changing, and it was just such a freaking pain. I know. I read the complaints. Anyways, we just couldn't keep up. Like, come on, antenna design is already more of a dark art than a science. Exactly why I assigned this to the human team. I thought that you could handle it. Yeah, I know, but uh, it was impossible, I swear. We needed a faster way, so, um, uh, so, uh, you know. No, tell me. I want to hear this, please. So, uh, we put it into the evolutionary design algorithm. Yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, it worked. I got the work done, and a lot faster than we could, and it was working great. I swear. And then the deadline crunch started, and it was working, but, um, but it wasn't fast enough. Yeah. You do the same, I swear. No, no, I wouldn't. Just, um, tell me what you did. So we took our evolutionary design algorithm, and we put it through another design algorithm. Uh, Of course you did. Come on, people have been doing this since the 2010s, it's not that bad. You're basing your logic on the 2010s. Okay, fair. But hey, it worked, we got ahead of the deadline crunch, and everything was fine, but, um... But what? But uh, Central just upped our workload, and the comp side department started messing around with Quantum, and... Well, it was getting too much again, and we had to do something. So, uh, tell me what you did. Instead of talking to Central for asking for more funding, tell me what you decided to do. I really want to know. So, uh, we took the evolutionary design algorithm, the one that we were using to make the last design algorithm, and we, um, well, we, uh, say it, we put it through another algorithm. And there it is. Tell me, James, what in the name of Turing and Palalakluma and freaking LG has detected program do. Well, frick, Pearl, you already know, don't you? Do I have to do it? Fine. The program figured out the best way to make itself quicker as to keep putting itself through more and more evolution algorithms to make itself progressively better until, well, uh, he caused a freaking singularity. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's what happened. But hey, uh, you got the antenna done, didn't you? I mean, yeah. But frick. Oh, so now you're freaking out about it. I, uh, might have had a lapse in judgment. You freaking think so, James? Great! You're self-aware. That's slightly above my freaking goldfish. Well, congratulations. You get to tell your team you're all going to be in the history books. The dumb craps who couldn't sit still long enough to design a freaking antennae. And I can see the chapter title now. Um, yay? Real proud of you, buddy. Frick, I need a drink. 
I mean, it's still just designing antennas, so I guess there's that. Yeah, I guess you could say there's that. James, yeah, frick you, yeah, I deserve that. End of story. Story number two, Brass Monkeys. Written by 6E6F6E2D62696E617279. I mean, if you've ever had a forward sensor burnout, you know you're going nowhere. Safety overrides will cut your V to zero quicker than you can say crap. And then, well, you're in for a long wait. Used to be a lore about that, about helping stranded ships, but there were some problems with pirates and the megacorps lobbied for it to be replaced. It was time you could have been shipping something. So it went, and so it was, and so I ignored half the jump please knowing that it was my rear on the line for the higher-ups figured out I'd delayed the shipment. And now it was my turn, stuck midway between the station and jump gate. The emergency beacon activated automatically, of course. I could expect a tow in a day or two if I was lucky enough to need one. Damn, insurance would pay out. Probably, but next year's cover would be triple. So I asked for help. I sent a message. Forward sense of pride. Need assistance. Will pay. Not expecting anything. Not really. Resigned to yet another year paying off the Starsafe loan. Till I go private. I was thinking about dinner or what passed for it when there was a ping on my comms. Hash, Terrier 2076, Terran, Autonomous Region of Yorkshire, Kingdom of England, Affiliated, Independent Trader, Message Translated, Yes. Terrans, I didn't care for them, not back then. Though, all I had to go on was what I'd heard from my friends, what I'd seen on the news, and they were, well, grubby. And their home planet was named after dirt. They'd taken their Earth and their planets to the stars, companion creatures too. That their preferred habitat was so filthy, most of their ships were technically biohazards. And they were taking work away from my people. They'd do anything, it seemed, no matter how dangerous, for a pittance. I watched as their ship lifted up the lane and set into an intercept. A standard light freighter, functioning over aesthetics. Fair enough. But with the Terrans called mods, odd growths on the cargo hold, and a paint job of blue and white, and what looked like lights? Some sort of display? In red and green? I activated the ship's internal security systems as they approached, not wanting to take any chances. There were two of them that came through the airlock. The larger extended a hand. This I knew was a Terran greeting. I shook it, and the Terran smiled, and then it said something, but I couldn't understand a word. The universal translator was silent, although maybe it spoke in one of the many languages that we'd yet to successfully decode. We had English, simplified English, orange, it's complicated, Spanish and Arabic. In a joke, one of the part of the human linguists assigned to the project, he also had something called Esperanto, which no one spoke. The smaller Terran said something and the translator sprang to life. It explained that the larger Terran had an accent that would only be understood, and even then not by all, in the north of the Kingdom of England. Then it laughed and I saw that it was missing teeth. Charlie, that was their name, said that I could have a toad to the gate, or that Dave could replace the Ford sensor. I was dumbfounded. What kind of idiot would haul spares around the galaxy? And what did they expect to do with them? You needed years of specialist training to work on ships and... Uh, 
but I took a chance, and I said I'd take the spare. Once he'd heard my reply, Dave nodded and turned about, said a few more words, which Charlie translated, Do you want to see our ship? Have you eaten? And so, I followed them through the airlock. My first time on Terran ship. It was incredible. What I thought was the cargo hold was their living quarters. A truly enormous space, half of which was taken up by a kitchen and stores, the others by seats and table, and in the middle a damn tree. It was decorated with shiny baubles, and underneath it were a number of boxes. Charlie introduced me to everyone. There were sixteen of them. Can't remember the first names, and they shared Smith as a second. The adults all spoke in English with the same accent, so I sat with the children and answered their many questions as best I could. We played a game where you would take a wooden block out of a tower without letting it fall. It was hard. I only managed it once. They reappeared some time later, and I glanced at my remote. Somehow, he'd fixed the sensor. I was good to go. They didn't let me, though, insisted that I sit at the table and join them for a traditional meal. Anyone ever tell you the English have the worst food in the galaxy? Try the gravy. I've tried it to replicate it many times, only managed brown sludge. Through Charlie, I thanked Dave and his family for fixing my ship and for their hospitality. I said that I would pay them and held up the credit disc. They looked at me blankly for one or two exchange words and Charlie said, Well, it's Christmas, as if that explanation was enough. Confused, I repeat my offer. Dave turned to me with a look in great consternation, spoke into the universal translator, registered a bad Spanish. It conveyed the meaning of his words, but I will always remember the sound. Hoy por ti. Mayana por mai. Later, when our ships were disengaged and I was well away, I felt something in the pocket of my suit. A single wooden block with a blue ribbon around it, and Merry Christmas, Love Charlie, crudely etched on the side. It's my most treasured possession. End of story. Story number three. Wait, that's illegal. Written by Penguator. Targa was quite annoyed with a new partner. It wasn't like the human's personality was annoying, rather the opposite. Instead, she found Tony rather charming, which was surprising given how everyone talked about his species. Their mandatory acclamation week before the setting in had been fun, and Kaka had been looking forward to spending more time with him. After all, the protocols had already been written in great detail by the company, and the shipping name that they would be assigned to was relatively quiet. With no supernova or pirates to look out for, it was going to be a nice month with a new friend. And it was for about three hours, after which she popped into the cockpit to check how the engine temps were and saw that Tony was doing. Wait, that's illegal. Tony leapt forward in his seat, grabbing the controls and frantically checked the ship's systems. What? Where? He exclaimed. You! Gaga yelled back. Code 17.76 of the transportation manual dictates the primary pilot must remain within two extremities of the controls at all times. What were you thinking? Tony rubs his forehead. Excuse me, that's what you're talking about. Thank God, I thought I was doing something serious like that. This is serious. Uh, look, I appreciate your concern, but autopilot was engaged and it would kick in if something were to happen. Kaga felt frustration rising. The humans seemed to be almost blasé about breaking the law. 
Fine, I'll let it pass this time, but this is serious. We as sapiens did not come this far through reneging on our social contracts. They come from the cooperation that has allowed us to travel so far. Progresso, okay, I get it. Spare me the ethics lecture. What were you here for anyways? Kaga looked at the ancient temps and left, muttering something about how all rumors about humans were true. This pattern of apparent disregard for the law continued. It seemed that Tony couldn't help but break a few laws at every opportunity. Plus, he had managed to worm his way out of every single one with a silver tongue that left Kaga quite confused. Kaga felt like she lowered her guard down for a second and Aki would take over. One morning, Kaga called Tony into the cockpit to discuss a strange signature in one of the holds. She hadn't thought she needed to verify the cargo, but with how the damn human was acting, she needed to make sure. And lo and behold, she had found an unidentified signature in hold 4. Tony appeared at the hatch, still clearly dazed by sleep. His hair was a mess, and he was still slipping on a hastily brewed cup of coffee. Kaka smiled inwardly as Tony stumbled into the co-pilot's seat, setting down the coffee mug and yawning. She had intentionally called him in the middle of a sleep cycle to dull his tongue. All right, what is it, partner? Tony drawled, eyes half open. I found an unidentified object in hold four. Kogar said, smuggling is a clear offense, and you can't talk me out of this one. Tony frowned. Hold four. I swear I put it in. Wait, that's illegal. Tony sighed. Yes, yes, you could say that. I did smuggle something on board, but it was because it was too big to carry on my personal effects. If you'd let me explain. No, not that. Your cup. Kaga pointed at the coffee cup Tony had left on the dash. That's a clear violation of code 18.65. Open liquid containers must be kept two meters away from the main console. Are you kidding me? Why are you so anal about these things? Why can't you just follow the rules? Kagar shouted. She could feel the temper balding. I do follow the rules. That's just the ones that matter. They all matter. You can't pick and choose what rules you want to do. Kagar was furious, and this was saying something, as a beretta such as herself rarely even got angry. That's called judgment. Oh, so your judgment decided you need to smuggle something into hold four as well. Yes. Anyways, I'd put it in hold two. Plus, I had gotten it out as soon as we cleared the port. Whatever's in hold four isn't mine. Kaka froze. Though you have no idea what the thing in hold four is either. Tony fell back in his chair. No, I don't. One of these grease monkeys probably forgot to scan it. Kaga shook her head. The gods are automatically tagged. Scanning is just for the records. It would be identified either way. So what would that signature be if... Boom! The explosion rocked the ship, throwing Kaga and Tony from their seats. Ow! groaned Tony, pulling himself up. Let me guess, that was in hold four. Kaga pulled herself back up to a chair. Yeah, we have a breach. The inner door held, but the cargo is maglocked, so we should still be fine. Suddenly, her readout flashed red. That's strange. The inner doors have been damaged. It was as fine a second ago. Kaga tapped on the console. What could have done it? Same reason a bomb was planted. Pirates. They must have control of our systems and we have to move. No! Kagar shouted, Code 19.18 states that in the event like this, the pilots must lock down the cockpit and wait for help. 
No can do, partner. You think that they can breach the inner door of a hold? A lousy cockpit door is going to hold them. Tony overrode the lockdown, then grabbed Kargar, lifting her up with surprising strength. She barely managed to gasp. Wait, this is illegal. As he sprinted down the hallway, carrying her like a sack of sectos. Tony tore through the galley and blinding speed and leapt into the living quarters. He swiftly tossed Kagar onto her bed and pulled the large case out from under his own bed. Kagar moaned. She felt like she had been tossed in a meat grinder. As she slowly sat up, Tony pulled out something from the case. What is that? Kagar groaned. This baby is an RAL-224, an automatic electrocaster. It's what I smuggled on board. Be prepared and all of that. Kagar's eyes widened as she took in the weapon. Every angle was lethal. It was a triple barrel that only served to accentuate this. Wait, that's illegal. Tony sighed. Like I said, it's a judgment call. Looks like I made the right one. He opened up the cabin door and stepped out into the hall. Wait, what are you going to do? You can't bite those pirates. Tony grinned. Why? Are you going to tell me that's illegal too? The door slid closed before Kagar could reply, and she heard her locks engage. Kagar slumped back onto her bed. It was actually illegal to fight, a violation of Code 19.45, but she felt like she should trust her judgment on this one. It seemed to work for the human, after all. End of story. And that, my friends, is the end of the video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you wish to support the author, check the links down below for the original link. But if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways listed down below. But the easiest would be to share this with as many people as possible to help the channel grow. And I will see you all in the next video. And until then, I hope you all have a good one. Cheers.